<laughs> we're, so, we're so formal this morning. I love it. All right. Everybody having a good week? Yes. I'm having a better uh, weekend because my team won after last week's disappointing loss. And I know some of you probably aren't as happy as me today, but I'll pray for you. <laughs> you know, you're here to hear a message from the Word of God. And today's message really does tie into a theme of messages that I've been preaching. Um, that if you remember a few weeks back, I, I mentioned the idea that we are to live in such a manner because we may be the, our lives may be the only Bible somebody ever reads. You remember what I meant by that? Meaning that we are to live our lives according to God's moral standard. We're to live our lives according to how the New Testament calls us to live. And then this morning in Bible study, we were talking about uh, um, the, good, the good trees and the bad trees, the good fruits and the bad fruit. And it's talking about man. It's talking about uh, how we can know if we're the good tree, meaning a good, righteous individual, by the, the actions, the deeds, the works that our lives uh, do. And then same thing, vice versa, for those who are bad. But then I think about Luke 6 and 46 that I spoke of this morning. And in Luke 6 and 46, Jesus said to his followers, who are us, Christians, Why do you even call me Lord, Lord, and yet do not do what I ask you to do? And I told the class this morning, if you remember, the word Lord means master. And I've said many, many times we're in a servant-master relationship. And so the lesson today is to remind us that we're in a servant-master relationship. If you look on the screen behind me, it says, spiritual amnesia equals dying by degrees. And we're going to look to answer the question, what is spiritual amnesia here this morning? Because I'm here to tell you that this is going to be a tough message. I'm going to step on some toes this morning. Because the word of God is supposed to prick the hearts of the sinner to get us to turn away from sin in our lives. And when I say you, I am speaking in general terms as in the church, as in Christians. Doesn't mean maybe you specifically in this pew, but only you can answer the question if the material that is presented this morning reflects you and your faith in your life, or maybe somebody else. But either way, it's going to be a tough lesson. Today's lesson is entitled, as I said, Spiritual Amnesia. And this is a lesson that can't be preached enough. Do you know why? Because did you know that if you were to look up, there's different uh, websites that have worldwide statistics. Did you know that 168,000 people die every single day around the world? 168,000 people that woke up today will be dead sometime within the next so many hours. And they say, well, how do you not run out of people? Well, because 360-some thousand are born every day. But the point is, I wonder how many of those 300 or those 168,000 that are going to die today and that died yesterday and are going to die tomorrow, I wonder how many of them thought they had more time. I wonder how many of them were making plans for next week and next month and next year. And so the point that I want us to understand here this morning is that life is fragile. We don't know when our end is going to come. And so that way, we must be aware of the danger of standing before a holy and righteous God. Because 2 Corinthians chapter two, verse about, or chapter 5 and verse about 10 tells us that all mankind will stand before God in judgment. 
Jesus tells us in John chapter 12 that I didn't come to uh, judge the world, but I came to save the world. And he did. But he says, you have one that judges you. He says, the words that I speak is what will judge you in the last day. Meaning that when your life comes to an end, you'll meet a holy and righteous God, you'll stand before him in judgment, and your life will be judged based on your works, whether good or whether bad. This is not opinion. This is literally what the Bible teaches us. And so hundreds of thousands of people die all across this great nation and across the world because of spiritual amnesia. This morning, though, we're not focusing on those that are outside the church. This morning, we're focusing on those who are inside the church. If you're a member of the Lord's church, if you've confessed Jesus, if you've been baptized for the remission of your sins, this lesson is for you here this morning. So to answer the question, what is spiritual amnesia? Spiritual amnesia is simply this. It's forgetting who you are and whose you are. Does that make sense? Forgetting who you are and whose you are. Because if you gave your life to Christ, as I mentioned this morning in Bible study, bond servant means that somebody who voluntarily gives their life over to another in service to the individual. That's what Christianity is. And so today we're going to look at how this happens. Today we're going to look at ways to prevent this. And so there's two really terms that we're going to look at. The first term that we're going to look at is backsliding. And the second term we're going to look at is just outright apostasy. And so backsliding is the, is, is the idea that we relapse into what? Bad habits. We relapse back into sin, sinful behavior, undesirable activities, undesirable activities of somebody who professes to be a disciple of a loving and righteous God. That's backsliding. And then there's apostasy, and apostasy is simply just uh, somebody who completely falls away from one's faith, religion, and rejects the God in which that they believed in. And so it's important, brethren, that we look at examples this morning. Because in our first example this morning comes in the way of uh, the Apostle Paul from 2 Timothy, in chapter 4, and verse 9 and 10. And the Apostle Paul says, make every effort to come to me soon. Why? He says, for Demas, having loved the present world, backsliding, right, apostasy, for Demas, having loved the present world, has deserted me and has gone on to Thessalonica. I wonder how many Christians over the years, over the centuries, have been like Demas, have rejected their Lord and Savior, have went back into a, a life of sinfulness, backsliding. I wonder how many Christians over time have deserted the, the Lord that they once confessed publicly as their Lord and Savior. How many times do the desires for sinful things overtake our desires for living holy and righteous lives? Remember the words of Jesus in John chapter 14 and verse 15. If, is that a key word? Pat, you teach English. When it says if, that's a key word, right? Because we understand that if you love me, you're going to do what I say. But if you don't, you won't. And so if is a very important word. It's a small word, but it's an important word. Because if you love me, meaning Christ Jesus, your Lord and Savior, you're going to keep my commandments. What did I say a moment ago that we spoke of this morning in Bible study, Luke 6 and 46? And Jesus says, why do you even call me Lord? You don't even do what I ask you to do. And yet those ones, the ones he was talking to, were Christians. 
Ones who confess to be followers of his. Anybody here this morning confess to be a follower of Jesus Christ? <laughs> I would hope so, being that we have a full auditorium. And I'm pretty sure most of us have already went down into the waters of baptism. And we confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We were supposed to repent and turn away from sin and be baptized for the remission of our sins. God added us to the church, the body. Brothers and sisters, how can such a simple con a, a, a concept in a sentence, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, become so convoluted in the minds of the disciples of Christ, followers of Christ? So the question you have to ask yourself this morning is, do you love Jesus? Because we know he just said, if you love me, you're going to do what I ask you to do. You're going to keep my commands. So I asked you the question this morning. Do you love Jesus? And does, is your life, does your life speak to that point? Speak to the fact that you love Jesus? Because you live according to his commands. Brethren, I love this, these passages of scriptures because do your actions show that you love Jesus? Notice this next passage of scripture. We see John, the Apostle John. And he was writing 1st and 2nd and 3rd John before, just shortly before his death. And notice what he says. Who is he talking to? Christians. For this is the love of God that we, Christians, do what? Keep his commandments. And that his commandments are not burdensome in our very lives. So I asked the question this morning to us as Christians. Are the commandments of God burdensome in your very life? Do they get in the way of your sinful nature? As we, as children of God, do we need to stop looking at the scriptures as the fun governor? And I've always had that, that term stuck in my mind because Jake, who's sitting back there, he actually one time used that term fun governor, and it kind of always stuck. Now he's talking about his mom, and she's not here today, so I'll say that. But he was saying how my mom was like the fun governor, right? And so I love that term. Sorry, Jake, three under the bus. But he was using that term, and it always stuck with me many years ago, right? How many Christians look at the scriptures as the fun governor? You know what a governor is, right? You put it on a vehicle, so that way it can only go to a certain speed, and it can't go any further. And so, how many Christians consider the scriptures as a fun governor? We need to stop looking at the scriptures in that way. And we need to look at Holy Writ as God's instructions for our very lives. Because that's exactly what it is. First Peter, or Second uh, Peter, chapter one and verse one, uh, verse three tells us that God has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. It's an instruction manual. It tells you how to be happy. It tells you how to be a good wife, a good husband, how to raise up your children in the Lord. It tells us how to treat others. It tells us how to love and be forgiving. It tells us how to conduct ourselves inside the church and outside the church. So God has given us the recipe for happiness. So why are so many like Demas, who the Apostle Paul needed and depended upon, and yet was deserted by him? You know any Christians who have ever deserted their church family? Have walked away from the faith? Walked away from the, the law of God that gives them everything they need in life and godliness to be happy? Brothers and sisters, why do so many people turn their backs on God from time to time? I want us to look at an example. Because as we look at the first example was Demas. The next example we're going to look at, I'm not going to put it up on the screen because it's too long of a passage. We're not even going to read the passage. Because most of us know the story of what? The prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, 11 verse 32, if you want to look at it later. Most of us have read the story of the prodigal son. But let's break it down here for a little bit. 
This is a story of two brothers and a father. Amen? And the two brothers represent God's children, and the father in the story represents God himself. And so as we examine this for a moment, the younger brother had an attitude of entitlement. Do you know anybody in the 21st century who has an attitude of entitlement? Huh. Whether it's parents or children. Anybody have an attitude of entitlement? How many of, our, how many of us or our children have those attitudes? How many younger, uh, younger hard-hearted sons uh, have, told, have told their father, we want what is ours? What are they talking about? Inheritance? Wait a second. You want what was yours? Is that an attitude of entitlement? Did you work for my fortune? I was just reading a, a story on Shaq the other day. Shaq, if you don't know who Shaq is, he's a really big basketball player. Retired now, he's on TV, he uh, you know, has all kinds of commercials. And I love the story because he was talking about his children. He said they often talk about their, their family as we're rich. And he said, no, 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 I correct them all the time. He says, I'm rich. You're not rich. And he says, and if you want some of this, you're going to have to go to school. You're going to have to educate yourself. You're going to have to make a life for yourself. And then if you have a good business idea, you come to me, and I, he's a man that has hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. And he says, and if I like the proposal that you present, I'll invest in it. He says, but I'm rich. You're not rich. How many of our sons and daughters and how many of us who are parents, we want what we didn't work for? Does that ever happen? I wonder how many times that when you think about this story and, and, and entitlement, how many family disputes have begun after the death of a loved one? You know why? Over possessions, money, and yet it splits families. It divides families. They want what isn't even theirs, and they feel entitled as if they should be able to get what they want. Interesting. Why is it that we have that mindset? That we want what isn't ours and what we haven't worked for, but we feel we're entitled to it. How many of us, moving on from that thought process, have squandered the resources that God has blessed us with? Anybody here blessed? Anybody receive a lot of resources? Have done pretty well for yourself? And then yet we oftentimes waste, we squander the resources that God has blessed us with, with what? Sinful living. Oh, that's exactly the, the story of the first son, the youngest son. That he went away and he squandered all that the father had given to him, even though he didn't deserve it, and he went and he blew it on wasteful living, sinful living. And then there's this older brother. This is, there's the other son, right? The older brother. And the older brother, was his heart right before God? In this story, he displays an attitude of being not compassionate, not being compassionate, being prideful, being unforgiving, being boastful. How many times are we unwilling to forgive one another? Anybody here this morning have a brother or sister in Christ or somebody in their life that they're unwilling to forgive? Interesting, because last time I checked, God, when you went down into the baptistry, he forgave all. And he doesn't remember it no more. And yet we're holding on to sin because we're unwilling to forgive others. And Jesus made it very clear. If you don't forgive others, he's not going to what? 
He will not forgive you. So do you think forgiveness is important? Maybe the big brother has something to learn. How many times do you find yourself being boastful? Anybody here boastful? Because he reminded the father that I've done all that you've ever asked. And yet, you kill a fatted calf, you throw a party for my younger brother who took what was yours and went and wasted it with prostitutes and loose living? Huh. He was boastful. He was prideful. He was uncompassionate, unforgiving. Brethren, we need to take a regular look in the mirror. Because we could take that story, which is a spiritual story, and it's meant to be a parable for us to look at ourselves. Are we the younger brother, or are we the older brother in this story? If we evaluate our lives right now, and we know that we probably would react the same way as the older brother, then I'm here to tell you that you need to repent of the sin in your life. You need to, return, you need to turn away from boastfulness, pridefulness. You need to turn away uh, from being unforgiving and learn how to forgive because you realize how much you have actually been forgiven. Anybody here a sinner in need of a savior? I've told you guys, I am by far an imperfect man. I have committed so many sins in my life. I haven't been a Christian as long as some of you. And I had a lot to repent of. But guess what? God didn't remind me of my sins. He just asked that I turn away from them. And he says that if you turn away from them, it's like it never happened. Because you'll be washed with the blood of Christ. And it's as if it never happened in his eyes. And so, brethren, in the end, the younger brother, even though he was the one that demanded what wasn't his, and his father loved him enough to give him a portion of his uh, wealth as an inheritance, he goes and he wastes the money, and then he, after he wastes the money, and all the people who were thought were friends of his... They deserted him, and now he has nothing to even eat, that he was willing to eat the slop that the pigs were eating, that he says, I know what I'll do. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to beg my father to take me back, not as a son, but as a servant. He's, he goes home, and he tells his dad, he says, I have sinned in the sight of heaven and in your sight. Please make me as one of your hired servants. He says, I am not even worthy to be called your son. And yet the father in the story who is representative of God does what? He runs to him. He hugs him. He kisses him. He puts a robe over him. He puts sandals on his feet. A ring on his finger. For what reason? Because the son had repented. Turned away from the sin, realized the error of his ways, didn't come back asking to, be, to become the son again, but asked, please just make me as one of your hired servants, for I don't deserve to be, uh, be able to call you your son, because I sinned before God and I sinned before you. Brethren, remember that the Bible says there is more joy in heaven over one individual who repents than over 99 individuals who need no repentance. Amen? The point is that God desires that all come to repentance. That all turn away from uh, 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 disobedience. That all turn away from sin and turn back to him. And that he will forgive us and he will wrap us in love. He will, put a, he will clothe us with a robe. He will wash us in the blood of Christ. And he will give us spiritual blessings. And, and, and go and Jesus has prepared a place for us. So now let's look at some other causes of backsliding. How many people 
have turned their back on God because of persecution. In the next passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 20 21, notice what it says on the screen behind me. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And yet he has no firm root in himself, but it's only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word of God, immediately that individual falls away. Brethren, this scenario plays itself out time and time and time again in Christianity. And so you have to ask yourself, are you the individual, or somebody you know may be the individual, who had, who had the rocky soil? It makes me think of the passage that was read earlier for the, uh, the scripture reading for service in Revelation 2 and 10. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. For he says, behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. And he's going to bind you for, for those ten days. But be faithful unto death, and you will receive the crown of life. And so, what do we know about that passage of Scripture? It's simply telling us that as Christians, we're going to be tempted. There's a season that we're going to be tempted for, and that's our lives. But if we remain faithful through our lives, God is going to give us the crown of life. Brethren, in our next example, we know that how many people come to blame God Blame God because of the things that are happening in their lives. And so they start to backslide. They start to loose live. They start to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church because of, 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 of trying to blame God for the problems that they have in their lives. They fail to understand that God allows hardships due to mankind's rebellion. You go back to the Garden of Eden. You go back to the garden and the sin that was in the garden. And that we understand it was because of the sin that, uh, and because of the consequences of the sin, that life was going to have its fair share of hardships. And that we weren't promised an easy life. If we remained pure in the garden, and we'd have lived in paradise with God. How many of us want to blame God for the loss of a loved one? How many of us want to blame God for how our lives turned out? How many of us want to blame God, blame society, blame our parents, or blame anything else that we could blame instead of actually face the problems in our lives? How many of the problems in our lives are because of the things, that, the choices that we have made and because of the consequences to those choices? Brethren, it's time we start to take responsibility for our own lives as Christians. It's time that we start to take responsibility for our own lives, and it's time that we stop playing church and become the, the Christians or the disciples of Christ that God has called us to be. That we are to be a holy people, a holy nation that does what? That goes out and shares the gospel in order to teach people the truth, to show them the light. Being a child of God means you die to self and you live for God. That's what it means to be in a master-servant relationship. I think of the scriptures here this morning. And I know, brethren, that there are many Christians who fall away also because of false teachers. False teachers are so detrimental to the Lord's church, into Christendom, into the kingdom of God. How many of us have family members or friends who have given up on religion altogether? Why? Because they see hypocritical living by those who actually claim to be Christians. How many of them fall away because they're being pushed away by legalistic Christians? Or, or they, don't, they don't like what they see and they're sickened by liberal Christians. Or they're being taught falsely and they, so they don't know what to believe. And so they start to fall away from the Lord because of false teachings. And then there are Christians who simply ease away from Christ. Many who slowly drift away from the truth, 
who slowly drift away from being faithful. And I think of an illustration, because some members of the Lord's church are languishing in a pig pen of sin. And they don't even realize it. And there's an illustration about an experimental laboratory uh, who uh, had a frog. And they put this frog, and I'm sure many of you have heard this over the years. You probably heard it in school or different things. But in the laboratory, they heated up some water. And they put this frog in the water. And they slowly heated it up at a rate of 0.036 degrees per second. The frog didn't even notice the changes that were taking place. And the water finally reached 140 degrees. And what happened? The frog died. The frog had not even been aware that there were changes taking place. And then he died. You see, that frog died by degrees. And if you remember my, the opening slide, and I had on there, spiritual amnesia equals dying by degrees. So I wonder how many of us here today are dying by degrees spiritually. I wonder how many of our friends and family members are dying by degrees spiritually. You see, because the story of the frog really is a spiritual one. Like many church members, the frog never realized that he was dying. How many of our friends and family members are those who have backslid so far or went into apostasy that they never even realized that they were dying? How many of us never see, never even sense the danger that is upon us? How many of us have woken up one morning after uh, backsliding and used to be a, a dedicated, faithful Christian, and then one morning you wake up and you don't even realize who you've become? You just look in the mirror and now you see a shell of a once faithful, dedicated Christian. Anybody know anybody like that? Maybe it was one of us at one time. But maybe, just maybe, like Matthew 18, other brothers and sisters of Christ came to you out of concern and love, and they gently persuaded you to turn away from the sin in their lives, or, or your life. And so, brothers and sisters, members of the Lord's church often stray from God, but they never reach that unfaithful state in one night. They never reach that faithful state in one night. Christians begin to miss worship occasionally. They begin to become a little, they begin to attend a little less frequently. And before they know it, it's weeks and months, maybe, heaven forbid, years have gone by and they haven't even been in a church building. But I claim Jesus, I'm a Christian. Or maybe, just maybe, you attend services. Maybe you're here on Wednesday and Sundays. Maybe you, uh, you, you still attend services, but your life has become so busy that you've spiritually stopped caring. What do I mean by that? I wonder how many of us have such busy lives with all of our kids' hobbies and our careers and our hobbies and all of the different things that we like to do that, well, we just slowly but surely become weaker and weaker in our faith. Because why? We're tired. And so I have, I'm running around and I'm running the rat race of life and I'm, I'm exhausted and then it comes to be for Wednesday night Bible study. Oh. I can tell you, when my kids were younger, and before I got into the ministry, there were many Wednesdays. I come home from work exhausted. The wife comes home from work exhausted. And I didn't want to go. But I did. And why did I go? Because I knew if I cleared my mind, took a deep breath, I'd go. I always felt better about being there. And every time I skipped, I knew I had the sense of guilt. Because I knew where I should have been. But I also think about all the times that uh, we... 
allow ourselves to become so inundated with life that we start to slowly fade away from the church, slowly fade away from our responsibilities, to the point to where we don't do the things because we're just too tired to care anymore. We stopped praying, we stopped studying our Bibles, we stopped volunteering in the church and in the various ministries, we stopped encouraging others about Christ, and then one day I looked in the mirror and once again I only seen a shell of a former, formerly dedicated, loving, faithful Christian. But I didn't get there overnight. It was like dying by degrees, like the slow frog, or like the frog that the heat was slowly risen on. To the point to where eventually he was going to die, but never even sensed the dangers. Brethren, I'm here to tell you that people who are always intending but never actually doing anything, that is the road to hell. Because the road to hell is paved with good intentions. People always intending to doing good things, but they don't actually ever do anything. Well, I'm here to tell you that the bridge to hell is made on our many excuses. The devil doesn't lure us into committing sin overnight, but he tempts us by degrees like the frog. And what about those of us who are led astray by non-Christian friends and family? How many of us have, uh, have gave our lives to Christ, but when life gets hard, we don't turn to the Bible, we don't turn to Christians, we turn to non-Christian family and friends, and we look for advice. We ask them what they think. And what do you think they're going to give us? Worldly advice. And so maybe you're struggling in your marriage. And you go to your girlfriends or you go to a couple of co-workers and you're talking to them about the struggles that you're having in your marriage. And they're not Christians. And so they give you advice like, well, divorce the deadbeats. Divorce them. Find somebody who's going to give you what you want. You deserve to be happy. Is that godly advice? No. That's worldly advice. And when you let your minds be filled with sinful worldly advice, you start to die by degrees. Brethren... It's time that we start taking responsibility for our own decisions and the decisions that we make. It's time that we turn away from our sinful ways and turn to God, who has all the answers for life's struggles. And so I'm here to tell you this morning, if you're struggling in your marriage about, uh, and you're looking what to do, turn to the scriptures. If you're struggling in your marriage, it's time to turn to God's word and see what he advises. If you're struggling in your finances... If you're struggling in your career, if you're struggling to raise your kids or having relationships, if you're struggling to forgive others and to love others, turn to the Holy Scriptures and God has given us the, 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 the medicine, has given us the recipe for what we need and what we need to hear. Ask your brothers and sisters for help. And without accountability in our lives, it's easy to fall away and to start to die by degrees. And that's why we need to be, that's why we need to, uh, to lift each other up. In this next passage of scripture, brethren, I'm going to shut this down here in a few minutes. But in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, has anybody ever heard this before? Is this a popular passage of scripture? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge who? God. And he will make your path straight. Why? Because he will lead you in godliness. He will give you a plan. He will tell you all that you need in order to overcome the problems that are in your very life. So, do you want to start making better choices? If you're here this morning and you want to start making better choices, then start by asking better questions. It's kind of like that book John Miller wrote called The QBQ, and it's a book that many people read if you're in sales. And it often says that many times we always want to find out when there's a problem, who can we blame? Whose fault is it? Instead of asking the question behind the question, 
and determining what do we need to do to fix the problem instead of worrying about who caused the problem. Brethren, in our faith, we need to have that same mindset. In the pres in the, if, if the pressure of making a decision has come down to a time frame, and that time frame is forcing you to make a premature decision that you're not ready to make, then don't make it. What motivates our driving? What motives are driving your decision? You see, these are questions that we need to ask ourselves. How often do we allow past experience, experiences to influence my decisions today? Even though those past experiences were based on worldly thinking and not godly thinking. Have I looked to the scriptures in order to make the best decision? Have I considered the possible outcomes of the decisions that I'm about to make? And what are the consequences to those decisions? Could this decision jeopardize my integrity? Could it jeopardize my, my Christian walk and my witness for Christ? Brothers and sisters, as I shut this down, today we have focused a lot on personal accountability. We have focused a lot on making better decisions. We have focused a lot on looking in the mirror and wondering, am I like the frog who is slowly uh, dying by degrees? Meaning that I'm living with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. I'm on the proverbial fence. And I act one way in front of this group of friends, but when I'm around the church, I act another way. We need to ask ourselves these tough questions. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commands. And then we looked at the passage that John said, that he hopes that uh, the commands of the Lord are not burdensome. And so most of life's problems stem from the choices that we have made throughout this life. And if you want to decrease life's hardships, then brethren, we need to start living for God and living by his word. We need to start doing even what Peter said, for the Lord <coughs> excuse me, is not slow about his promises, but he's patient with us, not desiring for any of us to perish, but for all of us to repent of the sin in our lives and to turn back to a holy and loving and righteous God. Like the parable of the prodigal son, God is representative of the Father, and if you turn from sin, you return to him, he will clothe you with a robe, he'll put a ring on your finger, a crown on your head, you'll be washed with the blood of Christ, and you'll be ready when, you're, when your time is over. When your last day comes and your life on this planet comes to an end, you know that your, your palace, your mansion, your place in heaven is laid up for you. But only if you're faithful. If you're hearing this message today and you're hearing this message and you realize that I'm living with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. You could change that today. Do you know you have people here in the Lincoln Park Church of Christ who love you and who want the best for you and want to see you succeed and grow not only in, 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 in physical and spiritual terms, but also to grow in such a manner that you become a useful, dedicated servant of God that lives his life according to the will of God? Come forward. And we'll help you put a plan in place here this morning. If you're here today and you've been away from the church for some period of time, and you know that you have been dying by degrees. You know that you have backslid. But you want to rectify that problem this morning. You could come forward. The elders will be up here. You could ask for their prayers. You could ask to be restored. And we'll help you to put a plan in place to further your faith, to strengthen your faith.
But then there's those who maybe are not even children of God. And yet you're still in the pig pen of sin. You're still, uh, have, you're still dirty from all the sin in your life. You have an opportunity to be cleansed by the blood of Christ. By entering into his sacrifice. By going down into the watery grave of baptism for the forgiveness of your sins. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And God himself will add you to the church. Come forward as we stand and sing.